Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we've got occupational therapist and speech therapist, Courtney Mitchell and Catherine Bird. They're going to talk with us about uh, an issue that becomes a... um, huge, huge deal for a lot of parents when it comes to food and feeding issues. And so uh, them being therapists who have worked with lots and lots of families dealing with those issues, they're just going to come and share a couple of um, practical techniques and tools, as well as explaining to us what is going on when our kids struggle with different types of food, different textures, um, and what could be going on when food frustrations arise. Also, before we get into the interview today, I wanted to remind you that our online course registration for Cultivate Connection is closing on Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. So if you want to join our first ever fully online Cultivate Connection course, sign up today and use code ETCPOD-23. So ETCPOD-23 for 20% off the cost of the course. Class starts March 12th and we'll meet on Sunday afternoons. So make sure to check our website for all the details. You can find that link in our show notes below. Now, without any further ado, here they are, Courtney Mitchell and Catherine Bird. Well, so we are here today with Courtney Mitchell and Catherine Bird, and uh, we're going to let them introduce themselves in just a minute, but we're going to talk about something that um, I'll admit was kind of a, a brand new world to me when we got into the world of, of uh, adoption and um, parenting and um, all of that, and that is um, feeding questions, feeding issues. I don't know the right way to even frame that, but the, the whole world of of eating and how we relate to that. And so... Um, Guys, thank y'all for being here. And then we're going to just, why don't we, why don't we start with this? Um, Courtney, you're an occupational therapist. Well, you could just kind of introduce yourself and what you do and let Catherine introduce herself. And then we'll talk about this. Sure. I'm Courtney Mitchell. I'm an occupational therapist here at the Memphis Family Connection Center. Did it meet? You're good. Um, yeah. And I'm Catherine Bird. I'm a speech therapist at Memphis Family Connection Center. Awesome. So with you guys, first, Courtney, let's, why don't we start with this? For people who are hearing this and maybe they're skeptical and they're like, okay, like feeding issues, like everybody's got to eat. We just figure out what we like and we just eat. It's that simple, right? Like it's not that simple, but why don't you explain for people, I mean, as an occupational therapist, um, what all goes into us eating, like within our body and our systems working together and all of that, what all goes into us eating? Sure. Um, I would, if this was a parent coming to me, I would probably start by describing um, like picky eating and restrictive eating. Um, So there are kids who have, like we all have sensory preferences when it comes to to food and um, experiences and things like that, uh, where we get into a lot of trouble with uh, food is when we have kids who are very restricted, like they have a limited number of foods that they eat because of, um, you know, a sensory processing issue or um, an oral motor issue, whatever it is. Um, And that's really where we're stepping in. If your kid eats a variety of foods and then they just don't like bananas, it's probably not a feeding issue. It's more of a preference at that point. Okay. Um, so it's not a time to come and be like, Hey, my kid won't eat any bananas. Yeah. Um, if they're eating, you know, the apples and the oranges and, um, you know, they eat their broccoli or whatever it is, sure. they have a variety. We're, we're not going to be super concerned about that. Yeah. Um, when they have, you know, 
10 foods that they eat, then we're a whole lot more concerned, not only because um, they're not getting a variety of nutrients, but because they start to limit those foods as they go throughout life. Um, So with all of that being said, some of the reasons that kids might be um, experiencing feeding difficulties is because they have um, some sensory processing uh, deficits. Okay. So, and starting off in this conversation, and I mean, I I feel like this comes in on every single conversation we ever have. Like we as caregivers, as parents, like we bring something to the table, right? In this conversation. So like, how, how would you, if a parent was coming in and talking to you, like, how would you probably, probably gently, but the, the first thing that you point out to them is that they are also part of this equation, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they're part of the kids eating environment. Um, they're bringing their own sensory preferences to the table, um, their own expectations and all of that. Um, so definitely, yeah, you play a role in in all of that. Okay. And then Catherine, you as a speech pathologist, what are you doing here in this conversation? (laughs) How, How do you get brought into this? Um, Well, there's a lot of overlap between what a speech pathologist does and what an occupational therapist does when it, with regarding feeding. Um, But if a child has any oral motor deficits, that would definitely be a place where the speech pathologist would step in because if you cannot coordinate um, your mouth and the different parts of your mouth, you're going to have a hard time eating. Yeah. Um, But then there's also a lot of overlap when it comes to, the sensory piece as well. And a lot of integration between the two disciplines. Okay. So you said oral motor deficits, like, can you put that in plain? I don't know what I'm talking about language. Yeah, I can try. (laughs) Um, So kids, obviously babies start off with drinking a bottle that requires something different than when you start to eat pureed foods from a spoon. And then that, then when you move from that to having to chew foods or crunchy foods, all of that requires different motor movements. So without going into all the details of what that exactly is, sometimes you see a breakdown in some of those transitions. And so that would be a red flag or maybe just a reason for caution as a caregiver to be curious and say, hey, what's what's that about? Is is there something going on with the way they um, are able to move their mouth or chew their food that might be leading towards some trouble when it comes to mealtime. Okay. And I would imagine that sometimes some of the different sensory systems play into that as well, like smells and, um, and sight of food even like, is that, does that play in as well? Absolutely. Um, we, we use a lot of our senses for, for feeding. Like you see your food, you smell your food, taste your food, but we do a lot of like touch with food. Um, you need your, um, like, postural stability, which comes from the proprioceptive system to be even be able to sit at a table. Um, if you have like an overactive vestibular system, are you going to be able to, um, have different seating options? Um, and then the interoception piece of like, do I even feel hungry? Do I ever get full? Um, okay. Let's break those down. Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, we're talking about kind of First, talking about all the things going into us eating. Then you talked about the vestibular system, which is your balance, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And so, if you've and, and we've used wiggle seats in our in our house before, and um, and had to get much more. Uh, I would say, I mean, this is not uncommon, but like you know, we've had to get, just change our expectations when it comes to like 
how we're going to sit at the table and how we're, you know, how long we're going to expect our kids to sit there. And so a lot of times there's, you know, again, our history comes into play. Like, no, you sit at the table and your elbows aren't on it and you sit still and you're, you know, talk when talk to, but not other way. Like, so all that plays into it. And so talk, talk to us about, you know, the vestibular system and why that might need to be a consideration for us if you're having issues at the dinner table. Absolutely. So I would say that the vestibular and the proprioceptive systems work together um, to create that like postural stability. Um, so if you're having trouble with either one of those systems, then you're going to see um, the results in behavior, such as I can't sit still at the dinner table. My legs are always in my chair. They don't stay on the floor. I have to lean on the table um, because that's how I know where I am in space or I don't yeah. have the postural endurance to be able to stay like upright in a chair. And so I've got to do some propping in order to maintain that. Um, okay. So you're going to see it result in, in those ways. And then are there, you know, just, I know there's a thousand different products or ways that you can address those. Are there some things that you feel like are, are, you know, generically like a few different options that should be first tries? Um, so if kids are coming um, to see me uh, and they have a, they're struggling with like proprioception or vestibular, um, it's probably going to show up in other places first before the parent is going to be like, Hey, they just won't sit still at the dinner table. Okay. So I'm probably going to address it more from um, like a movement perspective anyway. Okay. That's probably not their number one complaint is All that right. the kid won't, um, you know, sit at the dinner table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's probably a whole lot of other things that they're seeing in life that are, that are creating more challenges. And then the dinner table, they might notice later, um, they might be like, Hey, they actually sat at the dinner table after we've done some, some work, uh, to, okay. to help with all of that. Um, so it's usually not the first thing that they, they come up with, but yeah, there's definitely some things that you can do, um, working on, uh, uh, integrating the proprioceptive and the vestibular systems through, um, movement and changes in body position and head position and kind of working through that. Okay. That's awesome. So Catherine, we talked, I mean, we talked before we started recording about um, just like the whole body nature of, of eating. And so, um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is obviously you know, the reasons that people might be coming to see either of you are all over the map. So it's not like we can say, here's the feeding issue. Here's how we solve it. Here's the, you know, two quick fixes to solve all these issues. But um, when somebody is is coming to you and you're trying to explain to them that multi-sensory piece, how are how are you as a speech therapist, like how are you looking into um those issues and and what are some ways that you know you're giving parents advice to kind of start helping at home? Yeah, um I think also we have to consider what the environment of mealtime is and what the expectations are because that looks so different family to family what my dinner time at my house looks like might be really different than what yours is. And so um, we oftentimes start with what is the expectation that the caregiver has? Um, and is that appropriate for where the child is developmentally? Um, little kids cannot sit for really long periods of time. 
Um, so is, is that expectation appropriate for the child's age and where they are developmentally? Um, and also what, what does mealtime look like? Is the TV on? Are we all sitting together? Are we sitting in front of the TV? It really varies family to family. And so we try really hard to, um, get a sense of what the family's goals are, what they really want for mealtime for their families, because, um, it's not, it's not a cookie cutter approach, um, as much as we would sometimes prefer that. Um, and so I think that's a really where we kind of start a lot of times with, um, caregivers is trying to get a picture of what actually does happen at the, at the dinner table, um, and kind of go from there. So when we, when we're looking at like, um, Courtney mentioned restrictive eating. And so like there, you know, somebody's coming and saying, um, it might not be as much about, you know, uh, proprioceptive system or, or vestibular system, like it might not be a sitting issue or a wiggling issue. It's way more that there's only one thing this child will eat, or there's only, you know, two or three things they won't eat, but there's, it's causing friction in the house somehow. Um, what are some of those what are some of those first steps? Like, what are some of the ways that you guys are going to begin trying to integrate those systems together? Knowing that obviously these systems are all somewhat, our situations are all somewhat different, but like in general, are there some kind of investigative things parents we can do to help start to look at these food restrictive behaviors and, and how to help our kids move through that? Absolutely. Um, and Catherine can probably echo this or add to it, but, um, we usually start with a list of the preferred foods. So the foods that they like and consistently eat, and then we look for patterns in that. Um, so do they prefer a particular texture of food or a particular flavor profile? Um, is it more about the, the visual component of it? Like, are they only eating round foods? Um, is it particularly, um, carbohydrate dense, but they don't eat a lot of protein or, um, so like, what is, what do their foods look like? And that can provide you a little bit more insight on their preferences. And, um, then from there, you can, you can kind of try to grow it through, we call it food chaining, but, um, you know, I'm going to try to add in, uh, a food, or we're going to start exploring a food that is similar in texture to this preferred food, but you, yeah. but you're, it's not a preferred food, if that makes sense, to try to add to the diet. Okay. Um, and there might be different methods y'all use for this. And so it might not be as easy as the question I'm going to ask, but how do you do that? Um, so you want to be super um, curious with your child and you're going to lower your expectations quite a bit. Um, and so we start with, um, the food that we've picked out that's similar in texture or flavor or or whatever. Um, and you start by like adding it to the plate or just adding it to the environment and seeing how well the child can maybe tolerate it. Just being, you know, in eyesight, um, or on the plate. And if your kid is like, they're okay with that part of it, then maybe it's, you know, touching the preferred food or if your kid's okay with that, like maybe we're going to start exploring it with our hands or we're going to start smelling it and we're going to use our senses to explore this non-preferred food, um, in a way that's very playful. Um, it's not like, um, you know, you have to do 10 licks and then 
you can be done. Uh, it's more like, right. oh, I wonder what would happen if we rolled this cracker across the table. Can you roll your cracker to me? You know, that sort of stuff that's very playful yeah. um, and, and allows them to explore the food with their senses. Okay. And so what is staggering to me is like to the untrained ear or just to, you know, me as just some person sitting here, I kind of think like, well, what is that doing? But there's, there's actual like real integration happening in the brain. That's like, those are steps that are allowing different parts to flow together. Is there any, like, can you explain that to us? I'm going to do my best. Okay. Um, so one from like all the TBRI stuff, we know that play disarms fear. So, um, a lot of kiddos who have, um, they struggle with feeding due to sensory, uh, processing issues. Yeah. Um, it usually has something to do with, uh, like tactile sensitivity or, um, they don't like the, like the texture of the food, the way it smells, tastes, that sort of thing. And it will, um, like when, when there's sensory systems that are, that are disintegrated or that are off a little bit, it'll amplify that one mm-hmm. sense, right? So it might smell way more pungent to them than it does to you, or the bumps in a strawberry might feel like mm-hmm. way more dramatic than it would to yeah. You, yeah. Okay. Or on the opposite side of that is like the strawberry doesn't taste like anything to me. Like okay. I want to eat a lemon, you know, because, because I need so much flavor. Yeah. Um, and okay. so you, you can, it's a range, you can be anywhere in, in that range. Um, and so, uh, play disarms fear. And mm-hmm. so we want to, um, make it super playful because it's less scary to um, explore this food. And, um, oh, I remember what I was talking about. Um, So these kiddos that have um, sensory processing issues will um, specifically with like maybe texture or flavor or the smell, it is so strong and overwhelming. It is almost like um, to an extent feeling pain when you experience this food. Um, Like it's so averse um, to them that, that I am not going to be anywhere near that food, let alone, um, that's dangerous to me. Okay. It's kind of like the reaction that you get. And, and then you, if that was how you felt, you would definitely like throw that away from you or like squish it or get it away off the table because, or, or melt down when mom brings yeah. it into the, you know, into the kitchen. Um, yeah. Yeah. and so you get sometimes these like really, uh, overwhelming reactions to things that you're like, huh, I wonder why you yeah, would respond that way. Um, and so if you're doing it in a playful way, um, without the expectation of like, you're going to have to touch that, you're going to have to eat that. Yeah. Um, then, then they, um, stay a lot more regulated and they're much more willing to, um, explore it using their senses. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then Catherine, like if I'm understanding this right, like over time, that kind of work begins to like help kids be able to not just expand their palate. We're not just trying to get kids to be eat fancy foods one day or whatever, like, but also helps them to be able to eat without this like chronic fear, anxiety, like lingering around. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, And Courtney mentioned this, but it's really slow. Um, we think about eating as somebody brings food and we sit in front of it and we just eat it, mm-hmm. but we take it all the way back to first you see it and then you smell it and then you touch it. There's like a whole progression of how you yeah. get before the food even gets to your mouth. And so it is like a very slow process 
that allows the kids to feel safe with one step before they they choose to move to the next step. And it's very much at the child's pace, which our hope is that gives them a way to feel like they're safe in, in their mealtime as well. So I, I think one question I would have, like, as we're talking about all this, like, you know, if you guys have a number of sessions and you kind of work a plan and, you know, you're, what are you looking for as signs of like, Hey, I think that we've, we've gotten where we want to go. Like, what are some of the signs that you're going to look for to be like feeling like you were done in that therapeutic situation or like, you know, what, what are mom and dad hoping to have at the end of these sessions or, or, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, again, it, it does vary child to child and family to family, but um, I think the goal would be more for the child to feel comfortable exploring new foods, not necessarily feeling like they have to eat everything that's presented. But 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 when something it comes onto the table that's new and unfamiliar or maybe just not preferred, that they're okay to have it in the room. Um, and, and that those behaviors that Courtney had mentioned um, aren't kind of taking over for that family. Um, and, you know, when we, obviously, in almost any um, situation we're going to talk about parenting-wise, we're talking about balancing nurture and structure and that, you know, having all nurture where, you know, dinner is just get whatever you want and just put it on the plate and just go nuts versus we're going to sit here until you finish this whole plate of Brussels sprouts. I don't care if it makes you feel whatever, like, um, even though Brussels sprouts are delicious, but... <laughs> What, um, what does that look like in this context? Like, how do we balance our structure in this context, um, keeping in mind kind of all the things that you guys have, have shared so far? Um, so I think to start with, you shouldn't make uh, all your meal times about eating therapy. Um, you should be curious with your child and set aside some times where you're going to explore food in a, um, in a fun way without the pressure to actually have to eat any of it. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't use, especially when you're starting out, I wouldn't use your, your normal meal time as a time to, to practice that because um, stress is already kind of high. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if you have a, a lot of, if you have other kids or, um, you know, you're trying to prep the food and then you're trying to get everybody fed. And then this one doesn't like that. And I'm trying to do what they asked me to do, but now this is spiraled into um, something I don't feel like I have control of. So it can just escalate quickly. And so I think if you start on a smaller scale, like I'm going to spend this five minutes, you know, engaging with food in a playful way with my kiddo without the expectation that anybody eats any of it, um, you're going to feel a lot more successful than if you tried to do it at a meal time where where there already feels like there's a lot of expectations and pressure. That's helpful. So that that's kind of that structure piece, right? Like we're gonna outside the moment, practice this. And then Catherine, you want to speak to the nurture part of that? Because if you're if you're frustrated as a parent by what's happening and you're wanting to start exploring this, it requires a lot of gentleness, right? And like patience. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, I was thinking about how much time parents spend planning meals, shopping for meals, cooking meals. I mean, it is a lot of hours that go into the day to feed your family. And so I think one thing that I have learned through TBRI is um, when a child does not respond the way you want them to, 
um, to not take it as like a personal, uh, I can't believe you did, you responded that way. Do you know how hard I worked to make this meal for you? And so I think when we as parents can step outside, take a minute to, you know, take some breaths, whatever we need to do to get ourselves in a place so that we can, the goal to be, to connect with our child, Mm. um, and, and not so much counting the calories or bringing that stress into the meal time, um, we're already setting ourselves up for a much better outcome than when we come into it with an expectation of, um, look at all this work and now I need it to be successful in you eating it as opposed to successful in we had, um, we had great connection at the table, even though you didn't eat or look at how he like is tolerating that broccoli on the table tonight. And two weeks ago, we couldn't put broccoli on the table. So success looks different. Um, when you slow down and you move at the pace of the child. I'm thinking about the kind of, as we wrap up, I'm, I'm thinking about families who um, may have uh, kids through adoption or foster care in their home, um, which, you know, at times there's going to be, uh, if you're, if your kids are coming into your home older in age, so like where they've had memories and had food experiences and all of that already, and kids are coming into the home. A lot of times food issues can follow those like entry points into a new environment. Any, any kind of like, um, uh, guidelines you would give parents as they're thinking about, and I was talking to a friend the other day who they've been approved to foster now and they're just waiting for a placement. And, and we were just talking about all the unknowns. And so like for, for that family who is, you know, either on the front front end or, you know, recently has invited somebody in any guidelines for how to, um, how to make food a safe place in the house? I think be mindful. Um, like we've said before that we, uh, all come from different backgrounds and eat different foods or have eaten different foods. I'm thinking particularly in my own life, um, like my husband and I, when we got married, he was like, would, would tell me that vegetables came from a can. Like that's the way that he, you know, ate vegetables growing up from a can. And so the, the fact that I wanted to, um, you know, buy from the, like the fresh vegetables, he was like, why would we do that? Like vegetables are in a can. Um, and so just like knowing that people, um, have those different experiences uh, and being aware of them will put you like that much um, ahead of the game. And and even for like some kids, like they eat mostly from packages. Um, So if you're providing foods that are um, maybe not prepackaged, then that looks a whole lot different than their normal. Um, Or if they're eating a lot of fast food and your food's going to taste a lot different than um, you know, the, the cheeseburger you got at McDonald's versus right, the cheeseburger right. that you made at home. And so kind of, um, talking about that and exploring it, uh, with them. With, with great patience, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then Catherine, like, I want to ask you about, you know, food insecurity. So for kids who are coming and they may have had moments of, um, being hungry either in, uh, big or small ways, like, are there some guidelines that you would give for just saying like, make, you know, again, making, fa- making food a safe issue, but for kids who have had food insecurity, like what are some things we might need to do to make sure that that is not an issue in the new environment? Um, so as, as caregivers, we, 
we do have some control over the food because you get to choose what's in the house. Yeah. And so, um, having, letting kids have access to food, especially considering their story and, and what has occurred in their history, um, doesn't mean you just, it's a free for all. Yeah. You can choose healthy snacks that are available to your kid at any point during the day, but you as a caregiver do have that choice. Like, am I going to give them, you know, this food or am I going to choose that food? And so, um, the, the kid gets to choose whether they eat it and how much of it they eat, but you as a caregiver do have, do have some choice in, in what's provided. And some of those conversations can be exploratory, right? Like, well, what kind of things sure. do you like to eat? And, right. and figuring out maybe some healthy alternatives within those ranges of, of groups. I mean, we've got four kids and I would say like our, our like snacking interests, if, if we put a pie chart up, it's like a four-way split, right? So like, we've got a lot of that too. Um, well guys, this has been super helpful. I, I, any, any like, not last words, but any, uh, any like last piece of advice you want to give or, or what, what would you want you know parents to know if they are feeling super nervous about calling an occupational therapist or calling a speech therapist or just looking into a food issue and they're thinking we might have something on our hands here. Like, what would you want them to know? You're not alone. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. Well, a huge thanks to Courtney and Catherine for joining us today. And hopefully, um, if you've got some food issues happening in your house, hopefully there were some practical um, steps for you to take or things for you to understand um, to help give you a framework for how to how to work through some of those things as well. Um, we are super, super excited about all the stuff we've got coming on, uh, coming up soon. Number one, the Cultivate Connection online course. Number two, our next round of facilitator training. Um, and we've got some other things we're going to share with you very soon that are, uh, we believe to be really, really exciting. So for everybody here at Empowered to Connect, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for Tad Jewett, the creator of the music behind the Empowered to Connect podcast, and everybody here at Empowered to Connect, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week on the ETC podcast.